Welcome everybody to the next episode of The Hive Minds. We are here in the Hive pub within the uh, realms of BDB. I have got Matt Smith, CEO of BDB with me and Oliver Brewood from uh, BDB also, who is our head of tech. And today we are going to talk about the subject of sales and marketing alignment. My passionate subject on how sales and marketing has changed vastly over the, ten, the last 10 years yet most businesses have not fallen in and aligned with it. So we're going to call this episode Align or Die. I always say that every um, every business over the, over the past five or six years that I've visited um, has still stayed in with a linear sales structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still stick by that now. Sales and marketing automation has come into the world in the last... Uh, two or three years, some some companies are using it to great effect. Some companies are buying the software and not really implementing it properly. Um, What's your thoughts on it, Matt? Um, I think reflecting on our own business here at BDB is the first first point of call. So we're not saying we uh, have always got it right. Uh, When I first joined BDB back in 2014, there was a very clear new business function and a very clear marketing function. And the two of those functions had absolutely no overlap whatsoever um no clearly defined kpis in terms of cohesive kpis to pull those two departments together um and we're operating as two completely separate pieces of activity uh, which ran for 12 months and at the end of the year we wondered why one hadn't supported the other too well um and i think now that's that's prevalent in most of the clients we work with yeah. not all uh, but most of the clients we work with and whether that's SMEs, like sub 50, 100 million turnover businesses, all the way through to multi-billion pound global organizations. Um, It's increasingly challenging to separate the two functions. I think now technology is involved. But also, I'll bring Ollie in here in a second, because it's a very, very, I I find that not just sales and marketing, sales and marketing and tech now have to be so closely aligned I think having the right tech to go, well, Ollie, Ollie's the best guy to speak about this, but having the right tech to complement your marketing and sales efforts, I think is the big thing. Yeah. Um, but where data and big data, I know that it's a, it's a massive buzzword in today's market. Big data is a big buzzword. ABM is a big buzzword. Tech stacks are all buzzwords. They're all buzzwords. That what you're talking about is selling and personalizing whatever you're yeah. selling to that individual. I think it's easy when you look at any of any like piece of technology individually, especially within this arena as well, it's really easy to undervalue what it is that they offer. Mm-hmm. But when you actually start thinking about how much easier it makes everybody's lives, how much time it can save, how much visibility it can give you of, of things that are going on, whether that's in an account during a sales process or whether that's who's clicked on this email and who's interacted with uh, another piece of marketing collateral, it's just keep making everything easier and allowing you to act more on that information. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel so strongly about this that every business is affected by sales and marketing alignment. Every single business. Or misalignment. Yes. Or mis- <laughs> no or laughing. No, it is yeah. no laughing. Yeah. Every single business. And I think that sometimes when I go around to other agencies and go around to other businesses, they still see sales as a bit of a, a dirty word in essence. Yeah, but, but do you not think that's due to the even the education, the training and the theory that's out of date? No, it's massive. I, I'm going to mean, there's you know, more common stuff out there now, but a lot of businesses are operating on that classic funnel. So the classic funnel of marketing's role is to increase awareness of products or services or brands or whatever that may be to fill opportunities in the top. What happens subsequently in the funnel? No idea, really. And hopefully sales catch something at some point to try and convert a sale. 
But I think the awareness point, marketing's primary responsibility was to build awareness. And then now more and more and more, the buyer's cycle, the buyer's journey, the buyer's process, they're educating themselves so much more along that journey. And if the content isn't there for them to do that before, they don't need all these constant awareness pieces. It's more tailored content that's going to educate them, tell them about your products and move them through almost well, the non-linear sales funnel now that dances all over the show in the sense of all the multiple touch points that are there for a, for a buyer to meet your brand, that consistent brand experience, that storytelling, whatever it may be. But there's so many touch points now. It's not that linear approach of going, okay, we'll bang out a LinkedIn ad, okay, we'll bang them to a landing page. People still do that though. Loads of people do this. But I guess what I'm saying is you've got to think beyond that these days, Mm. utilizing the tech stack and move past this classic funnel, drop drop the classic funnel. (laughs) Part of the issue with kind of implementing that from from what I've seen is that if marketing aren't being held accountable in any way to kind of financial results of sales or even um, actual leads coming into the sales team, then there's not much of an incentive to kind of uh, kind of improve that experience because there's nothing showing that there's anything wrong with what's already going on. But how many, how many, how many marketing functions do you know are marketing leads, let's call it, that have a clearly defined marketing qualified lead? So let's talk about leads. Yeah. And we hear that a lot with our briefs that we receive of, People want to go out there. We'd like to do a lead gen campaign. Lead what's a lead? A and we go, okay, okay cool. So what's a, what, what's a lead for you? Is very different from what a lead to well, me. It, well, a lead could be a website visit. It could be a, a lead. It could be a quality. It has to be a qualified meeting. But it's I think as a marketing busy. function, if you work in the marketing function, you t- to define what success is for you mm-hmm. as your performance. Surely you have to define what what is your marketing qualified lead that sales want to get from you. Mm-hmm. What's their ideal lead you can pass to them? I'm yet, I'm yet to meet many businesses that have that creative Yeah, thing. because this the, the problem I found with businesses, and going back to your part uh, before about the, how the sales process, sales and marketing process is not a linear process anymore. It's changed. And you have to now, your marketing and sales process has to be together along with the, the tech that you're using. And that's, I think, where, where a lot of businesses are struggling. And because we know how difficult it is to implement and you've got to do it in small bite-sized chunks. I think smaller businesses, the reason why smaller businesses and the tech startups are su- succeeding in today's market is because they have a, I think you mentioned it before, before we started this yep. podcast, the sales and marketing team are the same person or the, 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 mm-hmm. the one or two people and the, the, the sat next to the tech person. I think particularly these days in startups because you've got the early adoption of the tech because they probably start at the tech point of how that can solve the pain points in their business rather than trying to crowbar tech in at a later mm-hmm. date. I also think when a company's small, sub 10, sub 20, even sub 50, arguably sales and marketing is one function to an extent. And then over time, as you grow and develop and get bigger, the departments split and go further and further and further apart as you get bigger. And I think some of the biggest companies we work with have got it right and they've got the systems in play and others haven't. And it's entertaining to see that kind of disparity between the different approaches, the tech stacks, the methodology, and how they share data and how they also enable their sales teams to sell better. Yeah. It's funny on that point because a company that, um, that I'm aware of, um, they, they've got a very well kind of defined sales process, excellent use of uh, technology. Um, the, the kind of, you've got a, basically a telemarketing team that connects really well to the, the sales team, but then the marketing team, which is kind of sitting in the same room with them, doesn't, don't talk to them. They don't think about how the campaigns necessarily affect them in the, in the same way all the time and it's it's just it should be so easy for the company like that size to align but it just doesn't always doesn't always get thought about i think if people use 
sell marketing and sales um, enablement properly, then you should know who your biggest opportunities are within that pipeline. And I always use the example of mm. when we first started speaking about it, about a lot of customers spend fortunes on marketing, PR big PR campaigns with quite a lot of different agencies. I know we're talking to a lot of our clients about stopping that leaky bucket mm-hmm. because if you are spending that amount of money, the people that are visiting your website, the people that are coming on your social media channels, you should know who they are and you should be able to track them in this modern day and age with, with engaging content that that client, that customer wants to have that relationship with you. And that's the key thing. They there's, want no, to there's no excuse these, di- these days to hide behind not being able to qualify the ROI and also track the results. So, uh, uh, you know, even a matter of years ago, uh, lead gen and awareness were terms that were used as success and the qualification behind that of what was the success of lead gen, I call it, you know, awareness was, was very vague. And I think a lot of marketing agencies have done and still do hide behind that. Whereas the text there to tell you now how long somebody's dwelled on a piece of content, how much they read, heat mapping where they've been on it. And, you know, again, this is Ollie's speciality, not mine, but I've been amazed myself as a non-specialist tech business leader out here to see what kind of data you can get. There's absolutely no excuses. You don't know who's a hot prospect, who's a cold prospect, what's a real lead, what's not a real lead. So when you see these case studies that generated 3,000 leads for somebody, I'd I'd love to see the the, the stats behind that of what a marketing qualified lead was set as and what success was deemed to be before that campaign started Mm -hmm. because we could band around some ridiculous stats here when the real quality lead is is a much smaller number but that's that's not a problem either maybe that that is still successful but you know you see these ridiculous to define that going into the process yeah but you see it in the the award entries don't you around around town we generated 7,000 this and the other and 7,000% return which is a great percentage by the way but you know it's it's no difference if you put in a post out on on LinkedIn, it gets fifty likes, twenty million, you know, ten ten thousand comments. But if you've not generated a general sales opportunity, it's awareness is great, and it, and, it, yeah. and it counts towards no, something. Ab- and, and it counts towards that relationship. Does. But you know, if you're doing a lead generation campaign, it's they've got to be start on the journey. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the tech, Ollie, mm-hmm. I think some good tips for businesses out there now who. I've heard of sales and marketing automation, alignment, looking to potentially bring it into their business. There's countless pitfalls, isn't there, of jumping into um, a tech stack with yeah. or without a head of IT, because not everybody knows everything. But what, what what would you sort of, what would your advice be to those people? I think it's, first of all, be aware of what you're getting into. Um, I absolutely think it's something that most businesses should be doing, but it is a large process you need the right internal buy-in um you need sales bought in you need business leaders bought in it, you're usually going across multiple departments in in terms of what you're kind of trying to change going back to a completely different conversation we had earlier in the day which is kind of change management mm. um it, it's not an easy task so making sure that you, you're aware of that and you you've got buy-in from the right people um that you work with whichever technology providers that uh, that you're looking to work with to make sure that you know exactly what that implementation process is and, and making sure that you plan it out time-wise because it's very easy to kind of get sidetracked with whatever else it is that your role will kind of be um, encompassing and not get around to kind of that tech angle which doesn't instantly bring you any results but it's going to transform the business over time. So it's, it's interesting you say that. That kind of brings me a little bit onto my next point. Um, do B2C 
companies, people um, attracting B2C customers, mm-hmm. get automation better than the B2B? I think they've been forced to, and I think that's probably because of the nature of the transaction. So if you think about the buyer experience and the channel touch points in B2C, and I always relate back to booking a, booking a holiday these days, but you're on holiday, so you, you want to book on I think a holiday is an ideal one. So you book yeah. a holiday, what do you want to do? So you would Google result, you'd speak to your friends, you'd read some reviews on TripAdvisor, you'd yeah. speak to some more friends. You might go and get a brochure from a travel agent. You might, might. probably, probably lose these days. Yeah. You'd go on the hotel website, you go on Expedia, you go on Lake Look at all the bars, restaurants. you price so, check yeah. it, you look at the area. Yeah. Then you'd pick who you want to book it with. And all those touch points are opportunities for a brand to be out there, to be at the forefront of mm-hmm. providing that information, good providing example. that content. Or subvert you off towards there. Absolutely. But that in the B2C environment is quite prevalent. So mm-hmm. as you say, Amazon, no matter what you do these days, it's, like it's been retargeted, sorry, into your streams everywhere. That's and abandonment that you'll see constantly. All that kind of thing. But that whole experience for me is, like, is a classic B2C example of that could, that can be very easily applied to a B2B world. But why have we, why have then, have we as a B2B world taken longer knowing the success of what's happened with B2C? Is it because we still um, class B2B and B2C you know, I, I always have this conversation with you. It's, mm. For me, you're selling human to human, yeah. whether it is B2C or B2B. Yeah. I know we're yeah. we're very, very focused on, on B2B and we always yeah. will be, but it is human to human. Everyone's sales cycle starts, like we say, with a holiday. But there's a nervousness and probably maybe it's a bureaucracy point to an extent of B2B organisations are classically more traditional in their approach and it takes them longer mm. to come over and see the value that the more non-linear sales approach can and uh, can take for a business. I think that might be a, a, an interesting point there is the, uh, the time it takes to see yeah. what difference it makes. If you send out a highly targeted email in B2C, that's instantly converting. You're instantly getting yeah. purchases right off the bat of that, whether it's even well executed or not. Whereas in B2B, it's going to take you time to see results for that. You need yeah, sales cycles are longer. Like the client we've been speaking to recently, wasn't it? It's their sales mm-hmm. cycles 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And but I think you'd probably say the classic B2B sales cycles by 12 to 18 yeah. months. So it's not that instant gratification that you're getting. However, it's moving more towards that. And whether that's linked to more um, millennial, Gen Z decision makers being in businesses who do have that demand for quicker decisions, quicker turnarounds, quicker, quicker results... Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I can't pass comment on that yet. But I think there's a link in that personally. No, there is. I was. I read um, a slide from Salesforce that said 82% of B2B buyers want the same experience from their companies as they when they shop with themselves. Yeah. I can. I can. I can well believe that. But that. I guess that is that supported by 82% of business leaders buying into that. The buy. The buyer wants no. that. The buyer one. 100%. The buyer wants that experience with B2B these days. Yeah. And I think that's where people are picking up on it now, that the demand's there for it. And if anything, if it's something to go by, the changing demographic in the decision makers and the buyer in the age profile experience and what they require for their buyer's journey and customer experience, I think it's only going to exacerbate the, not the problem, but I mean, bring it more to the forefront for people mm-hmm. to think about. So, so again, this probably question to you all here is, and I kind of got a good a good counter argument to this if, if it depends which way you answer it but <laughs> um, <laughs> it could be controversial do you think we are really sort of linear in the way we um, engage via social digital channels we tend to stick to the ones we know Facebook, links, Facebook, LinkedIn 
uh, Twitter, Instagram, and we kind of miss out the bigger ones, which are WhatsApp. Mm. You know, um, we we neglect email again these days. Everything's talked around social channels, and we miss all the other digital channels that are out there. Do you think that companies need to expand their thought process into other 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 points? I mean, I guess the core thing is what a company's objective is. Um, but yeah, you're right, there are a lot of channels that in a business-to-business world kind of get very much overlooked. Um, Facebook, for example, will to some extent, um, just because there's a perception that people aren't, they're on Facebook, they're not interested in work. Sometimes that's true, sometimes it, if you're talking about advertising and targeting options, just aren't there to support whatever you're trying to pull off. But there's so many times that I've been on Facebook and I've clicked on a, a, on a B2B ad and, and ended up looking at a demo for a piece mm, of software or whatever too, it is. Me too. Because um, at the end of the day, I'm just there. I'm looking to consume content. And, and if you get me when I'm interested, then, then I'm going to Which buy. is usually, uh, and it's funny because I was talking to Matt before saying, I think it was a stat a couple of years ago that sort of 90 or 95% of businesses don't have a YouTube channel. It's the second biggest mm-hmm. search engine in the world. And last year, advertising spend on YouTube exceeded TV advertising in the US for the first time ever. Yeah. Which is showing how it's how it's completely shifting. Um, so yeah, I, I think another, YouTube's another channel which I don't think is particularly well utilized. There's obviously a challenge there. The cost that goes into to producing videos is potentially higher than in other forms of content. But it just depends how you choose to execute that. Mm-hmm. There are ways to do video effectively um, that mean that it, it's not a, uh, a pain to, to produce the videos and it's not necessarily a huge cost in your business um, other than somebody's time to, to share their knowledge and expertise, which is something you'd typically be able to, uh, to get without is, being is, a big is that, is that linked to the fact, and this is a question for you, Ollie, do you, do you think that's linked to the fact that the the younger generations these days are looking for more authenticity in the way the videos are shot, the way they're consumed, rather than it being some big, glossy, corporate, clearly rehearsed within an inch yeah. of its life, executed cinematic experience. Which usually happens with B2B, to be honest. The B2, no, I'm saying B2B, if they do yeah. the videos, typically it's more that kind of end right. of the scale, whereas... So we're getting B2C. used to seeing the more raw version. I, I think going back to Chris's point earlier around, um, around this... B2B people being more interested in that kind of experience that they get as a consumer, mm-hmm. we are getting more used to seeing like the raw version. Um, you'll see YouTubers, streamers, whatever it is, they're just chatting constantly. They don't worry about editing it and making the perfect article. And they're, they're what's becoming more and more of interest um, to, to the newer generations in terms of consuming content. So I think people are getting more used to that raw um, experience and they don't need that, that polished one. Personally, I find a polished video depending on the circumstance and what it's for, to be much less appealing, much less interesting, because it just feels much more like a perfected sales message and yeah, not, not as genuine. So I'm going to put a question out there. Does the modern day sales and marketing person, I won't, I'm not going to say company, but person, because I think people buy people these days, mm-hmm. have to be multi-channel? I don't have to be aware of being multi-channel. I think you're missing out on opportunities if you're not. That's what I would say. So I think you have a primary channel and secondary channel and tertiary channels even. But in the sense of, I think... Do companies accept that though, Matt? Because I don't, I don't think they do. I think, I think again, you, you, we have a problem in the B2B world yeah. that the salesperson makes meetings, makes phone calls. No, I think, I think, I think we're, seeing, we're seeing it evolving. We, we do, is what I'd say. No, no, but I think we're seeing it evolve. We've got some clients that don't. We've still got some 
what you would say, you know, the death of the old school salesman. And, and there's no harm in that because they're selling. If they can do the job and still deliver those targets for yeah, you, fine. and it's an industry that supports that kind of approach. Of, but what you're really talking about there, even in the old, let's call it the old school salesman in this point, is knowing your client, knowing what they're interested in, and knowing what are. makes them tick, knowing where they're at in their buyer's cycle, knowing when they buy, what products they buy, where their stock and experience is going. Well, that we'd just call it ABM, wouldn't we? Oh, of course, we would. Yeah. So we just changed. So, we just changed so really, the anyway. old school salesman for me who get it really, really right are probably ABMing their their, their target base, but they just don't call it that. Mm-hmm. Now there's an awful lot of old school salesmen who are driving around having pointless meetings, going from lead, let's call it lead for this point, but I mean, yeah, an unqualified lead to lead to lead to yeah. lead to lead to lead, and killing leads, and that's why I line or die as you'll hear seeded through several of these podcasts, is, mm. is kind of a mantra that's becoming a point. Stop stop killing your leads and, and take them all. So you're basically saying that as a modern-day salesperson, we need to be aware of multi-channel, but focus more on the buying experience. Yeah, but I think you, you, the human-to-human aspect of what you, you know, you, that's your, the human-to-human aspect always, will always have a place. Yeah. You know, you can, you can read all the stats about by 2020, 95% of buyers will, won't need a human interaction to make a purchasing decision. And that's in B two B. I think I think we've got a way to go before we reach those levels. Yeah, I think there's always a place for it. For the meantime, to have that kind of personal touch and the balance between humanity and technology. So he's just put his finger in the air and said yes. <laughs> Boom! Um, I love that. That was a really good one. Really good nugget to take away there. But Ollie, on the buyer, the buyer now has, whether it's B2C or B2B, has more power than they've ever had before, mm-hmm. especially in England with GDPR. Do you think that they are taking more? I know I do as a, as a consumer. I, I really dictate what content gets delivered to me on a daily basis. Do you think that's going to happen more and more now with with more and more protection in place for, for sort of less um, unscrupulous market activities that could go out there or sales activities? To some extent, I think what we're also seeing in relation to that, everybody gets, um, unless you're like me and you're very organized with, with your unsubscribe, everybody gets quite bombarded with email. And that's not to say those kind of channels aren't relevant, but I think it just means that there's a shift in, in the way that people end up reaching. So we're seeing WhatsApp being a channel that people are, are more and more uh, looking to use for business, going back to your previous point. So Netflix will now send me updates on WhatsApp. That's fine for now when it's 15 companies sending me an update on WhatsApp, I think I'm going to start getting annoyed and I think you'll see that. But um, will you? Or do you think that's more yeah, the, we, the, WeChat, yeah. the WeChat approach of kind of China that you see of every single piece of marketing that goes through WeChat, which I guess is the equivalent it's of... Targeted. Uh, well, I suppose it's kind of cyclical you as well. You can opt in, you can opt out. I mean, it's what it, well, it's Sky it. now, Sky now. When you watch, you could watch Sky at my house, Sky at Matt's house, and, there would, and you watch the same TV programme and there'd be different adverts delivered mm-hmm. based on the household. So that is, I mean, I know for facts that when I watch Sky, it's just betting advert after betting advert, followed by a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm not gambling. Really. Um, followed by uh, an AA advert. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mine's a Disney princess, so yeah, that's, that's my daughter's not yeah. me. <laughs> but yeah, you're right, we, we are getting more control over what we get and what we opt in out and out of, so... Um, but I like that, though. I like the fact that I'm getting a, a personal buying experience. I'm, I'm all for big data. I'm all for... I prefer the, the. I prefer to receive the targeted ads. I prefer to receive um, ads that are kind of relevant to my interests. So I buy me, more. Yeah, 
Mm. I find it annoying having to get having to click accept cookies because I'm, I'm absolutely happy if you show me an advert that's relevant to something I might be interested in. I, I personally, I know not everybody will feel that way because some people just want all ads gone, but I'd rather see an ad that's relevant to me than an ad that's about something I'm not, never going to be interested well, in. Well, it's funny you should say that about people want all ads gone. I, I actually don't think they do. I think what they... They'd be surprised, like many do when you surf on the internet, what you click on and what you don't click on. You be, when you go back over your internet history over the day, you, you, you are really surprised the journeys that you have been on. And it's not not due to the time limits of the contact, though, the way it's done, the frequency of it. It's all that kind of thing. And you're in the B2C world, I guess, what you're yeah. doing. So the touch points, if they show you the same ad 10 times in the same stream, you get pretty annoyed. With you get pretty annoyed, yeah. So it's all the tactics around that, I guess, isn't it? About trying to make sure ads aren't invasive, I suppose, because yeah. nobody's going to be annoyed by an ad that's not invasive or they find all it entertaining. All value add for them. Yeah. yeah, but it's when you're seeing the same ad all the time, or when it's annoying, or when it's you go on a website. Everybody has had this experience, and, and you get five pop-ups of ads, and you can't do what you want to do, or you'll end up on a top five list, and you have to click next page five times. And, <laughs> Each one's filled with ads. I'm sure we all get dragged into the uh, find across. Yeah, find <laughs> dragged across. into that at some point or another. But um, so, like we do with with all our our podcasts, I'm just going to wrap it up a little bit by asking some tips. Um, before I do that, I know that there's going to be other episodes around a line or die, um, just because it's such a big subject. But it was one that we wanted to cover today, just because it was quite prevalent. We've been speaking to a couple of clients about it recently, and it's quite the um, on the tip of our tongues. Um, we're implementing it in BDB to great success at the moment. So Matt, two tips for somebody looking to potentially implement sales and marketing automation into their business, whether it's small, medium, large size business. I know it'd be different advice for different. I think automation, alignment, enablement, they all fall into the same kind of grouping for me. And I think the big one is looking at the KPIs of how you motivate the respective teams. So if you're, your sales and marketing functions, let's assume the two functions, you're a big enough company that they've split, then then, what is success for those two departments? And if you identify there's no crossover between them, you, you need to be doing something about it because they're working at completely odds with one another quite often. Yeah, if they're on and, separate floors, you've got an issue. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. And I, and I also think that in terms of the multi-channel approach to marketing, in terms of integrated marketing, obviously we, we would always recommend looking at that kind of multi-channel experience. However, if you want to go kind of omni-channel approach to it, then 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 I would thoroughly recommend doing the research and insights into which which avenue currently your customers are preferring. It's the buyer's choice, it's the buyer's, it's the, the dealer's choice in this case. So in yeah, the sense of put, put it out there and do the research and insights into which channel they're using, uh, what their preference is there, and tailor your, your content accordingly. Ollie? I think first point for me would be communication. And I don't mean thinking you know what the salesperson knows or thinking um, that you've talked them off enough. I mean, having regular meetings, make sure you're, and I don't see this as being something that's even difficult to do, make sure that there is some very regular contact between the two teams. What are they, what's going on from, from the salesperson's perspective? What's going on from the marketing team's perspective? And how do you actually work together? I think. If you sat down and asked any salesperson how you can help support them with their marketing, I think they'll be able to give you some really, something really insightful that will help you push their leads over into becoming sales. And I very much doubt that conversation's happening very often in most businesses at the moment. I agree. And then I suppose somewhat connected to that is just make sure that you're measuring things. Make sure that you understand what's coming in your business. 
in terms of those numbers, um, how many leads are coming in, how many of those are getting passed over to the sales team, what are the sales teams saying about those leads? Are they good enough quality? Are they not good enough quality? What is wrong with them if they aren't good enough quality? So we, you can improve those marketing campaigns. Um, and then how many of them are actually becoming sales to, to determine if this is actually kind of a valuable activity that you've got going on? And I think everybody involved should be able to give you at least a rough idea of those kind of numbers, and particular percentage of conversion rates, whether that's conversion um, on a website, whether that's conversion to a to the sales team or that's conversion into a customer at the very end of it. Because if you don't have at least a rough idea of what those figures are, then it's really hard to make quick judgments about whether a campaign's are, are, are successful and how to optimize those as you go forward. Cool. My biggest problem, I've got one big one, I think, is if you not revisited your sales process, revisit your sales process, it will have changed massively. Um, and look at the customer journey. The buying cycle has changed. Like we said before, we've talked about holidays, Matt referenced holiday system before, and I totally agree with him. Your Most businesses have a very, very straight sales process and don't interact with the client before, during, or after. They tend just to go to the business meetings, don't interact with the client um, before the next proposal, business meeting, whatever it is. You need to relook at your sales process. That's one of the biggest takeaways. And again, we are going to come back to this subject on further podcasts, but we thought we'd give you an intro today. But um, more than welcome to take questions and calls and emails um, on things that you'd like us to cover on this um, as we are a very interactive podcast, as we are in a pub. Maybe if you want to come on, if you're a a software house or someone like that, or someone's in sales and marketing automation, come and join us at Hive and uh, join the debate. Thanks, over and out. Thanks, thanks Blake.